Jesus tells her the hour is fast coming when the place of worship will be inconsequential because God is spirit and any place can become a holy place, a thin place, even this place. And that's our hope, that as we engage with these meditations, this place might become a thin place. Welcome to a Thin Place Podcast with Dr. Larry Taylor. My name is Mike Young. It's been a momentous week or so for our family. On February 3rd, my daughter and her husband welcomed Colin Michael Gahagan, my first grandchild, into the world. Colin decided he was ready for the world about a week early. Plans were disrupted. Everything came to a halt, and our entire clan became engaged with this new little guy. I was a bit preoccupied, and I failed to get an episode of the podcast ready. So, I hope you understand. If you're on social media, even a little, following the presidential inauguration, you were bombarded with Bernie Sanders memes. Senator Sanders was photographed at the inauguration among all of the glamour and fashion of those on the platform, seated in a folding chair, dark suit, gray puffer coat, standard blue medical mask, legs crossed. And what jumped out the most was his crocheted mittens. Zigzag pattern. The gentleman from Vermont was dressed for the weather, not for the fashion. And we loved him for it. A friend of mine started a thread of Bernie memes. And as social media can do when it's at its very best, it was hilarious. The meme that I shared was one of a king cake. For those of you that may not know, the traditional Mardi Gras treat typically has a small plastic baby baked into the cake. And whoever finds the baby in their slice has to buy the next king cake. In this meme, rather than the baby, there was Bernie Sanders peeking out, mittens visible. My friend messaged me later, and at first he had not seen Bernie and was trying to figure out why in the world I'd posted a king cake on his Bernie thread. And once he saw it, it was hilarious. But at first he couldn't see it. It was sort of a Bernie Sanders version of those Where's Waldo books. Waldo was always difficult to see until you saw him. And then you couldn't miss him. In our meditation today, we're going to explore that phenomenon. Stopping long enough to see by Dr. Larry Taylor. The text for the morning is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. And if you'd care to follow as I read, I'll start with verse 46. Mark, chapter 10. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. In the little Appalachian college town where I lived for eight and a half years, the seasonal change from winter to spring each year could be very dramatic. Winters were cold, gray affairs, and we moved from sometimes deep snows in January to lush dogwood forests in May. The arrival of spring, together with the end of the school term, made people turn their attention toward the mountains. We could always see them in the distance. And the spring made us think about going there to hike and picnic and view the wildlife. And so it was a diverse group of teachers and students and townsfolk who gathered early one morning on the church parking lot and soon began an hour's drive to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. In our little group that day, there was a professor who was a skilled bird watcher. He was good. He taught the ornithology course at the college. In the spring, the warblers migrate through East Tennessee, through the mountains, and this man was able to identify the birds by their songs long before any of us could find them in our binoculars. But when we did locate the birds, he wanted me to pause long enough to see them for myself. He would name the species and he'd point out certain features, sometimes very fine features, and leave me with the general impression that there'd be a quiz at the end of the day that better I had be able to record and to produce again for him the name, the black and white warbler, when he asked for it. There was also a botanist in our group. And he, of course, was concerned with everything on the trail. His attention was riveted to the plants. Whenever he'd spot a particular lily or rhododendron species in bloom, we'd stop and he'd tell us all about it, just off the top of his head. He was interested in everything that grew, and his eye didn't seem to miss a thing. He knew what to look for, and he wanted me to see it too. And so all that day, my attention was constantly shifting back and forth between the warblers in the trees and the plants along the path. And I began to realize that everybody here was seeing and hearing what was important to him. In a sense, that's what we do. 
We train our eyes, and the more we train our eyes, the less we see, because we've got to shut so much else out. I suppose if there had been a forester and a geologist in the group that day, it would have been all rocks and trees that we saw. There's so much to see that we have to miss a great deal. When Mark here tells us his story of Bartimaeus in Jericho, we get the impression that Mark didn't miss a thing. It's almost as though we were there ourselves that day when Jesus passed through Jericho. Mark's a good storyteller. A good storyteller puts you right into the story. He can make the absent present. <clears throat> he can make the strange familiar. And when Mark tells us the story of Bartimaeus, we are there with him. Two weeks ago today, we were there. Two dozen of us in Jericho on January the 2nd. The world had not come to an end the day before. We had actually been at Armageddon, believe it or not, on New Year's Day, defying both hysteria and ignorance, and the apocalypse had not happened. So now we were on our way to Jerusalem, and we stopped briefly at Jericho, retracing the steps of him whom every one of us would name as Lord. Jericho may just be the oldest city in the world. Even in Jesus' day, people had already been living in this tropical oasis in the desert for nearly 8,000 years. And the reason is not hard to find. A clear, abundant stream of water flows through Jericho, making it lush and green, causing it to stand out from its drab brown surroundings in the great rift valley of the Dead Sea. As Mark tells the story, Jesus and his followers were merely passing through Jericho en route to Jerusalem. There was no plan for a stop or a ministry here. And as Jesus was leaving the city with his disciples and a large multitude of people, they happened to pass by a blind beggar named Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside where he was begging for coins. And so we meet Bartimaeus where he sits day after day. Jericho had passed him by for years. He'd been in this place so long, people didn't notice him anymore. And he was certainly marginal to the concerns of Jericho. Now, although Bartimaeus was blind, there was nothing wrong with his ears, and it's a common phenomenon that we've all observed. His ears were keen. They compensated for everything he couldn't see. And before Jesus and the crowd ever arrived at the place where Bartimaeus sat by the roadside, already he'd heard them. His sharp ears had picked up the particular shuffle of sandals on stone that meant excitement. And he had inquired of passers-by who it was that was approaching and had been told, Jesus. Now, I suppose every person sightless in Palestine of that day knew the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This man was reputed to be a healer of the sick and the blind. Handicapped people dreamed and schemed ways to meet him. And now this famous healer was actually approaching Bartimaeus. In an instant, he realized that this would be his one chance to meet this healer, possibly to have his life changed. 
Bartimaeus knew that timing was critical. Jesus was a moving target, coming and going in a hurry. And so Bartimaeus began to shout at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus might not have been able to see, but there was nothing wrong with his lungs. He was starting to make a scene. This blind man sitting by the roadside that had been ignored by everyone in Jericho for years now was suddenly being noticed. They couldn't ignore him. And Mark tells us many people, many people started to rebuke Bartimaeus, telling him to shut up, to be silent. We might speculate who these many people were who rebuked him. Were they part of the large multitude that always followed Jesus everywhere he went? Were they perhaps some of the city fathers embarrassed that a famous rabbi was being accosted in their lovely oasis city by a blind beggar by the side of the road? Was Bartimaeus perhaps rebuked by Jesus' own disciples, maybe the same ones who had discouraged the little children from coming to him? We don't know. Mark doesn't tell us. But it seems that there's always someone or something to keep us from Jesus. It may be family or friends or work or situation or habit. Something always. In any case, Bartimaeus was proving to be an embarrassment to the city. Naturally, people don't like to be reminded of society's casualties, those that have fallen in the ditch, those that have fallen through the cracks of the system, the ones who are desperate, the homeless, the poor, the handicapped, the lonely, the hungry. We don't like to be reminded of those. They sit by the roadside as we pass by, and as long as they're silent, we've carefully trained our eyes not to see them and our ears not to hear them. Will Campbell is a writer, a Baptist writer with a true social conscience. He also has Louisiana connections because years ago he attended Louisiana College. In recent months, he's been commenting on something that he's noticed as he visits various cities. He says, I noticed that there are about as many homeless people in a city as there are churches. And he says, why not let every congregation adopt one person who lives on the street? Ask no questions about their worthiness because none of us is worthy in the first place. Just find them lodging, a job, and some friends. Give them some hope. And he says, you know what that would do? It would solve the homeless problem in America without a government program and without a tax increase. See is always a risky business. And suddenly, everybody in Jericho had to notice Bartimaeus. So people rebuked him. They told him he was making a scene. They told him to be quiet. And he responded by crying out, All the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! Now, surely, Jesus could just ignore this man, pass on by, pretend that he didn't see. For one thing, Bartimaeus' theology wasn't up to snuff. Son of David was a totally inadequate understanding of who Jesus was. It was a messianic title from the Old Testament. It portrayed Jesus as a royal son of King David who would soon go to Jerusalem to secure a political throne for himself. Nothing was further from Jesus' mind. 
so Jesus could just pass by this beggar because of his theology. The church is sometimes very skilled at ignoring the casualties in the society by hiding behind our theology. The church is often silent when it ought to be screaming with those by the roadside, calling attention to human needs for those being ignored. After all, as the church, we are called to be the advocate of society's casualties, but the truth is we often dysfunction. Someone has said that when we do that, the church is best symbolized by the three little monkeys who see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. But any time that desperate people are not seen or heard or heeded because we keep them in their marginal places, they will manage to cry out all the more until somebody does notice. Desperation stifled can even become violent. President John Kennedy reminded us that when we make peaceful revolution impossible, we make violent revolution inevitable. Bartimaeus was ignored, sitting by the roadside day after day, and so he thrust himself into the spotlight where he couldn't any longer be ignored. And so guess what? Jesus did see. Jesus heard. Like all of us, Jesus saw what was important to him. And for Jesus, that was persons. Needy persons crying out. And Jesus stopped because Bartimaeus was not marginal to him. This art of stopping long enough to see is a fine art. We're all busy today. We're all on the go. It's never easy to stop and to see, and to listen. It takes humility and reverence to stop. But the fine art of stopping for a moment in a busy day is the beginning of ministry. Often we're simply moving too fast. Poet Wendell Berry says, The faster we arrive, the harder it is to stop the mind in the presence of anything. In the presence of need, we are standing before the needy Christ. Sometimes in his witnessing, Jesus didn't so much take the initiative as he was just alert to opportunities that presented themselves. He saw what others ignored. His evangelism was not intrusive, but it was responsive. Nicodemus, for instance, sought Jesus out. A sinful woman was brought to him, and blind Bartimaeus thrust himself into Jesus' attention. Evangelism can occur any time a need presents itself, and we pause long enough to see. For Jesus, the fields were always white under harvest. Jesus stopped when he heard Bartimaeus, and he said, Calling, go get him. And they walked over to the blind man and they said, Cheer up! Take heart! He's calling you! Well, that was everything Bartimaeus needed. He threw off his outer garment, sprang to his feet excitedly, and began tapping with his cane in the direction of Jesus. 
We can feel the electricity in the air. We can sense the hush in the crowd. Mark puts us right there. And we can see the intensity and the focus in Bartimaeus' face as he taps his way to Jesus. And then all at once, he's there. Sensing Jesus' presence in front of him with that uncanny perception beyond sight, Bartimaeus stops before Jesus and waits. Need meets compassion face to face. And now every eye is focused on Bartimaeus and on Jesus. But there's more here than just an encounter between need and compassion. Here we see also the vast humility of Christ, that respect for human life that 20 centuries haven't been able to forget. At the end of the war between the states, President Lincoln wanted to see Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. The president was wildly received in the city by hundreds of former slaves, now free men and women. And in his enthusiasm, one old man stepped out in the road in front of the president and said, May the good Lord bless you, President Lincoln. Some people would have just brushed aside a person like that without a word, not Lincoln. He stopped. He removed his hat and bowed in silence. It was a bow that upset the forms, the laws, the customs, and the ceremonies of centuries, a mortal wound to an American caste system. And Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what is it you want me to do for you? Jesus is busy, but he has stopped. He's on his way to Jerusalem where very shortly he'll die. And en route to the cross, he stopped to talk with a blind beggar who's already on a cross of his own. What is it you want me to do for you? It wasn't the first time Bartimaeus had thought about the question. And his response was just as direct and just as quick as Jesus' question. It was the chance of a lifetime. He knew exactly what to ask for. Master, let me receive my sight. My sight. And as thoughtful readers of this story, we begin to ponder the bigger questions. Who's really blind here? Surely Mark's playing with us and testing us. Is Bartimaeus the blind one? Or are these people who have not been able to see him and hence cannot possibly see Jesus, are they the blind ones? Bartimaeus may be without sight, but he certainly isn't without vision. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. What was Bartimaeus' way? He'd never before had to choose a way. He'd always known his way to this place where he sat by the roadside begging. The prophet Isaiah wrote, I will lead the blind in a way they know not. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. 
Jesus may not have been impressed with Bartimaeus' son of David theology, but this man's faith was better than his theology. Have you ever noticed how in the New Testament, not even one time does Jesus define discipleship in terms of what we believe? He didn't inquire about people's theology. Jesus said, follow me in the way. All that's necessary is a personal response to him. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg says, Christianity has very little to do with believing 49 impossible things before breakfast. And Mark says, immediately, he received his sight and followed in the way. Immediately is Mark's favorite word. He uses it more than 40 times in his gospel. Something's always happening immediately in this gospel of the deeds of Christ. Bartimaeus received his sight immediately. And the first thing he saw was the face of Jesus. Just imagine that. Blind all his life, suddenly his sight returns, and the first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. And now Bartimaeus suddenly can see for himself. And suddenly he's more responsible than ever before because seeing is risky business. It lays heavy new responsibilities on us. Why, from now on, Bartimaeus, like the rest of us, will be seeing what he wants to see, whether it's warblers in the trees or plants along the path or other poor beggars like himself. And now that he can see, we wonder, how will he view those who still occupy the place he once was? And the story ends with Bartimaeus following Jesus on the way. On the way where, we wonder? Well, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem where very shortly he's going to die. Bartimaeus may have seen him die. Life had been so simple when all he had to do was sit by the roadside and now he had to assume the responsibility that goes along with seeing. And we're left free to imagine that Bartimaeus spent the rest of his days calling on other people to see, to stop long enough to see. The second time I was in Jericho, nearly 20 years ago now, after climbing the ancient mound to see the 10,000-year-old ruins of the city, I came back down and crossed the road to see something that I had missed on my previous visit. Down from the ancient mound of Jericho where I'd seen a wall 10,000 years old, I came and crossed the road to see the stream yet clear and cold that waters this oasis, lush and green. And there trickling from beneath the hill, I saw it, source of life in the desert, giver of hopes to thousands down the years. Standing midstream, pants rolled high. He looked up at me and bending low into the waterbed with a scoop of his hand came up and lifted it to me, grinning toothless, to offer any treasure there I saw of pebbles and sand, this beggar in stream of Jericho. What is this I see in his face but hope? 
a coin for my choice of jewels from the stream, scooped from rocks and gravel, washed from out the past of Jericho. Is this Bartimaeus begging yet so long? Ancient Bartimaeus still in Jericho? Among the pebbles, nondescript, I saw a shard, a piece of water pot, perhaps, or cup, or vase, clay and brown and smooth, washed by centuries of cool, clean water, slowly worked from out the mound of Jericho. I brought it with me, leaving a coin in its place in his hand. And now three things I remember about Jericho, ancient city, cradle of life. A wall, 10,000 years old, they say. A potsherd, smooth from sculptured clay. And face of bronze, grinning and toothless, lifting to me, hopefully to beg, asking that I stop long enough to see. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us eyes, sight, and vision, and we have so restricted what we see that we are able to live with ourselves day by day. But it is not easy because our faith calls us to higher things and the vision that once we've had of the Christ, the vision of the child in the straw manger has so cleared our eyes that we can never again be blind. We are exposed, brilliantly and hopelessly exposed to everything that lives and moves and to a creation that is hurting and burning. We are exposed and called to vision, called to see those who hurt because they're empty and homeless and hungry and needy. We're called to see. So we pray that you'll open our eyes and help us to see. Help us to look without walking away. Help us to give without asking too many questions. Let us minister as though we were ministering to you. And having opened our eyes and our hearts and our minds to fresh new visions, make us ambassadors for peace and love in a world that desperately needs them. Walk with us, we pray, through this new year, this new century, this new millennium. Walk with us in its first hopeful days. And as we walk, help us to see in his name, amen. Larry asks a profound question in the sermon we just heard. 
Who's really blind here? I heard someone say one time, a liberal is everyone to the left of me and a fundamentalist is everyone to the right. I'm just spot on correct. He said it with a grin. He knew what he was saying. And he was articulating our blind spot, all of us. It seems that Jesus' question to Bartimaeus becomes a question for each one of us. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus' answer might very well be the answer that we might give. Let me receive my sight. A former student of mine used to work in a ministry center in New Orleans, Louisiana. She told the story of a rainy night at the center. The front door opened, and she said that she could smell him before she saw him. A man stepped into the foyer out of the rain. He was drenched. He sat down on a bench and began to take off his boots. As he removed each one, he turned them up and poured water out of them, and he set them on the floor. His socks were stained and full of holes. He removed them from his feet, and he looked up at her, and he asked, You got any socks? Of course, she did have some socks. Socks were some of the most requested items there at the center. She reached under the counter and pulled out a brand new thick pair of tube socks. She stepped over and handed them to the man, and he accepted them with a smile. He slipped them on. She then stopped her story and asked, Don't you love new tube socks? Don't they feel great? She said that she didn't wash them first. She liked to take them straight out of the packaging and put them on and then do a little bounce in them. And then she said the man slipped on his boots over the brand new pillowy tube socks, stood, and did a little bounce, just like the bounce that she does. He could feel the thick warmth and comfort of the dry new shocks on his feet. He turned to the door and stepped back out into the rain, but before he closed the door, he turned and looked at her and said, God bless you. It was a touching story, a story we've all heard in some form or another before. But then she asked a question that reframed it in a way that I couldn't forget. She asked, is that all it takes for God to bless me? A pair of tube socks? It was a question that reversed the roles in the story she had just told. All of a sudden, it wasn't a story about her goodwill, but a story about her seeing another human being and being blessed. She had handed out thousands of pairs of socks before, but hadn't really seen what was happening. In a very tangible way, she received her sight that night. I'll not say much more about what we've just heard. But I do believe that that is my request as I enter this new day. That I might receive my sight. 
and be able to live up to that new responsibility. That rather than my own ideologies and biases, rather than placing myself at the center of everything, that I might receive my sight. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of A Thin Place. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, I would love to hear from you. Please send them to thinplacepodcast at gmail.com. If you find our podcast helpful or meaningful, share it with your friends and on your social media feeds. It's available to stream on all of the regular platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify. And if you can, it's helpful if you write a review. It's how new people discover the meaningful meditations that Larry has given us that we all treasure. As always, I'm so thankful for Larry and Linda for everything they've meant to so many of us throughout the years. This has been A Thin Place with Dr. Larry Taylor, and I'm Mike Young. Grace and peace.